Spearfishing usually conjures up visions of diving in the sea, dealing with sharks and all kinds of other aquatic wildlife in pursuit of some sort of weird thrill. Well, guess what? You don't even have to go in the water to be a victim. Curious? This is Cybersecurity Uncensored. Welcome to Cybersecurity Uncensored. My name's Logan. Glad to have you. Spearfishing. So in the context of cybersecurity, spearfishing is a very direct targeted attack at either an individual, a group, or a business. So unlike general phishing, which is more kind of a shotgun general vague approach where cyber criminals hope you'll just click on something, this one tends to have a lot more thought and process and a lot more malice behind it. So are you curious? In the grand scheme of things, there's a few different variations of spear fishing we can think about. The first one is whaling. So whaling is targeting the big fish, like your C-level executives. And another type is what's known as business email compromise, because again, that is very targeted towards particular organizations by leveraging a compromised organization. I'll do separate videos on those, but for now, we're going to focus on spear phishing. Spear phishing usually has four primary steps to it. The first one is determining what the objective is. Is it financial? Is it political motivated? Revenge? Is it something else? There usually tends to be a very specific motive in place, usually financial, but it can be other things too. The second part is choosing your target, and that requires doing some preliminary research to figure out who, what targets actually fit the profile of the people that you're targeting or the businesses that you're targeting. The third step means shortlisting those targets and then researching them very, very much in depth. This can be doing a whole lot of open source intelligence. This can be using specific data from existing data breaches. It can be some actual physical surveillance of your targets, but it does boil down to looking for very specific things in order to execute the spear phishing attack. The fourth step is the actual execution of the spear phishing. So if it's done by email, it tends to be a very, very specifically crafted email message. If it's smishing, that text message tends to be very specific. But spear phishing can take place over several other methods too. It can include malvertising by trying to drive certain people to a certain website, or it could even involve social media direct messaging platforms. So let's move on to a bit of the method for spear phishing, shall we? The reason these things succeed is because they create an almost sense of trust amongst the victim and the criminal executing the spear phishing attack. And that's largely driven by the high degree of familiarity that the cyber criminal has with either the organization, the group, or the individual. The amount of time that a cyber criminal will invest in this intelligence gathering, it does vary, but it does intend to involve a lot of work. So they do a lot of very specific research using a variety of different means and methods social media, existing data breaches. They're basically after as many intimate details about the target's life, work, friends, family, pets, cars, interests, places they go. They're looking for everything to try to build a credible narrative before executing the spear phishing attack. It's not uncommon for them to engage in an activity that is known as pretexting. Pretexting is kind of doing some work ahead of time to try to build some degree of familiarity and a degree of trust with the target. So perhaps they know where you shop. They might know what pages that you check into on Facebook quite regularly. 
they might know very, very specific things about you. And that only helps them create a very, very specifically crafted message. So think about all the stuff that you share on social media. Every time you go on vacation, every place you check in, everybody you've been associated with and tagged with in photos, and then they can correlate that against multiple sites, like for example, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, also known as X, threads if you're up to date on that sort of thing, doesn't matter, could be Snapchat, Tumblr, who cares? They're looking for anything. And plus they can also correlate this with your professional life as well through sites like LinkedIn. They can know what associations you belong to, what events that you go to, who you work with, who you've worked with in the past, and really build a good profile of your life. To some degree, they can understand you better than you understand yourself. But before you get too freaked out, there's one thing that I want you to understand, and that's not everybody is a target. Because they're looking for someone, something, a business, a group that's very, very specific, they're not going to waste a lot of time and effort on small value targets. Cyber criminals are targeting big payoffs, so they're going to have to have a very specific reason. So based on the information you have online, you might not be that interesting, sorry to tell you. The means by which they determine who to attack tends to be fairly sophisticated. I mentioned earlier that they put a lot of research into it, and a high degree of that is actually automated. They'll use certain algorithms and search engines to scour the internet in search of very specific details, and that can actually lead to a preliminary list of targets to which they can apply other filters and search criteria to really narrow down that list and become very specific. So like most other things that I've ever tried, I tend to get ruled out pretty early because I'm just not that interesting. So most of us shouldn't really be that worried about it, or should we? You don't actually have to be the target of the spear phishing campaign to become a victim. It could be a secondary collateral damage type of situation where perhaps it's a high ranking executive at the company you work at, maybe it's even the business itself, or maybe it's some of your colleagues. So there could actually be some fallout from this sort of thing. This is where I really think we have to really look out for one another and become situationally aware. Now, spear phishing campaigns can be very difficult to detect, even by trained professionals. It's because there's so much time and effort that's gone into them that they're nearly indistinguishable from legitimate communications. And that can be emails, text messages, messages on social media, posts on blogs. It could be just about anything. It's because the cyber criminals are after a big payout, so they're willing to invest the time and effort to get it. So how do we detect these things? I don't want you to lose faith. I just want you to put a bit of thought into it. So one of the most common factors that you're going to find in spear phishing attacks tends to be a sense of urgency. It can be a very specific message to a very specific person addressing a very specific issue. And that issue, whether it's real or not, is intended to cause panic. It could be something like, the merger is not going to go through, our stock price is bottoming out, this person has resigned, some other type of detail. But the whole idea is for them to create a sense of fear, to draw a reaction out of a very specific person, group, or company, where phishing attacks can generally rely on a wide range of emotions from happiness, like you've won a lottery or you've been awarded some other type of prize. I find spear phishing largely depends on fear and doubt and some sort of level of uncertainty which is a much more visceral reaction. It's probably more likely to draw a reaction as opposed to something that's happy where people might wanna go and celebrate first. But if it's unhappy or bad news, people might wanna to try to respond to it and deal with the situation right away. Like some of the other telltale characteristics of phishing attacks, there's certain things that you can look for. You can look for the name of the address in the address bar. Does it look a little shonky, missing characters? Perhaps it's using characters from a foreign alphabet. 
Maybe the graphics are slightly off. In this day and age, it's probably unlikely because they're going to put so much effort into it. But they also have to be crafty enough to try to get around some of the existing technology and filters that are in place. So there might be some telltale signs. There might not be. Now, the spelling and grammar errors seem to be slowly dying out. They're still in there, and they're probably going to be more commonly found in regular phishing messages, less so in spear phishing. But that's not to say that they don't exist. So if there is a spear phishing message that arrives and looks very specific and detailed, one of the things you can do is compare it to anything else, any other type of communications you may have previously had with the company, because there might be some subtle differences in the language, the style, the grammar, and the tone. Because a lot of big businesses tend to use templates. So if they send out one message, they send out 10 million of them that all look and feel the same. So if all of a sudden you received a message that seems a little off, there might be something up. In a case of spear phishing, another characteristic it'll share with regular phishing is it tends to ask for something. It might want you to click on a link. That link might look legitimate. That link could also be weaponized into existing graphics or other links like an unsubscribe or report spam message. But what they're trying to do is get you to do something for them. Perhaps it's to go to another website to get you to log in, surrendering your credentials, or somewhere else to try to take an action like downloading a piece of software and installing it. If you're working off of a computer, you've still got the method to hover over the link with your mouse to see where it goes. Depending on what format it comes in, it might have some sort of a safe links thing where it actually does some preliminary filtering. But you can always cut and paste that link, be very careful not to click on it, into a site such as VirusTotal to check it out to see if it's legitimate or not. Another characteristic to watch for, particularly with spear phishing, is there usually tends to be an attachment. Now, that attachment could have a Word document, a PDF, or some other type of picture file with some sort of code hidden in it. The trick is they're trying to get you to open it to try to execute the code that's in there. Modern browsers really do a fairly good job of these sort of things, but it does depend on how well it's configured. Because if you've got your browser set up to execute scripts, or perhaps you've got your Microsoft Office set up to execute any kind of code and macros, it could accidentally trigger the code. Something else I want you to watch for. I've mentioned pretexting before, but the sense of urgency overlaid with pretexting usually goes along the lines of your account is going to expire, you're, you've done something foolish and you're going to get locked out of your account, there's an invoice that must be paid or else something's going to get suspended. With spear phishing, those details can really seem very specific. For example, if you've got a longstanding relationship with a particular business supplier and the cyber criminal knows this, they might try to send you an invoice pretending to be that supplier. Perhaps the invoice is an actual replica of a legitimate invoice. All they've done is change the banking details. Watch out for little subtle things. And I cannot emphasize this enough. Do not click on any links in messages that you're not certain about. You have to be 100% certain. Even then, I would still question it, even if it's come from the same person 10 times. You don't know. Someone else's account might have gotten compromised, and they're using that trust to try to get to you. Okay, so we've gone through a few different ways to detect spear phishing attacks, and you'll probably find there's some significant similarities with regular types of phishing attacks. Even though these tend to be a lot more specific, personal, and there's a lot more time and effort that's been put into them, they're also probably going to be fewer and far between because most of these spam scams that you're going to get by email and other messaging methods usually tends to be your run-of-the-mill phishing attacks. What's some of the things that we can do about this? Well, you can conduct regular email checks. Now, emails that tend to be suspicious, asking for password resets, uh, logged out details, any kind of credentials type of access, just 
make sure that you're watching for them. Uh, if you're working in a, a company that has advanced email filtering, make sure that they've got everything up to date and they're taking advantage of the latest technology that's out there. Some companies have a fairly good email system. Some of them actually supplement them with some third-party systems. Uh, depending on what your business is up against, some of those third-party systems are pretty solid. They come up with things like an email fraud detection type system. You've got the ability to pull out malicious messages. You've got the ability to do data loss prevention. So look into these solutions because they might be quite beneficial. Fairly general one that you can do is use a VPN whenever you're connecting across networks that you don't necessarily trust. So for example, if you're working from home and you're in a large apartment building that might have shared internet facilities, you might want to use a VPN. Uh, same thing as if you're connecting from any kind of a public untrusted place. Generally, I say try to avoid working in public places, but that's not always possible. So try to use a VPN at all times outside of your trusted corporate office and make sure that all your traffic is encrypted. If you're looking for some potential VPNs you can use, there's ExpressVPN, there's Surfshark, there's NordVPN, there's a variety of them out there. And standard disclaimer, I'm not paid by any of these groups. I'm just simply recommending some of the ones that I'm familiar with that you might get some benefit from. So if your business has invested in some endpoint protection solutions, you could probably make sure that you've got everything up to date, that it's got the latest signatures, it's got the latest patches and everything applied. Uh, everything from, say, your Windows Defender type solution through to maybe some of the more co commercial solutions like, say, CrowdStrike, Carbon Black, McAfee, Symantec, any of those type of solutions. Something third party that is intended to really provide that next level of protection. And as for at home, you know, there's plenty of solutions that are quite affordable. You've got your regular McAfee that's been around a long time. You've got Symantec, which is also known as Norton, say, like Norton 360. Hey, you can't go wrong with the Windows Defender. Something is better than nothing. But the main thing is to have some sort of endpoint protection. Even look at your mobile devices, like your phones and tablets, and see what's available there. Here's one that I want you to apply, regardless of what video you've watched or situation. Keep your stuff up to date. So you want to make sure that you keep your desktop computer up to date. And on the back end, you want to make sure that all the servers are kept up to date. So if you're largely in the cloud, that's probably not as big of a matter because the cloud services provider tends to keep everything updated. But anything that's on-premise that you directly control, and that can be routers, switches, firewalls, network access points, multifunction devices, UPS systems, anything like that that you have some level of control over, keep it up to date. That also applies for your personal stuff too. So if you've got, say, a home wireless router, your laptop, you know, perhaps a few other things that you have at home that are connected to your network, even things like the firmware on your television and other types of smart devices, keep that all up to date. If you've watched any of my videos at all, you'll know that there's three principles that I want you to pay attention to, and that's information, access, and control. And the easiest way to start out by protecting that is with a good solid password and a unique password everywhere. So every single account has a unique password for it. Your username is probably going to be the same because it's generally your email address, but use a unique password everywhere. If you're struggling to keep track of them, use a password manager, something like Dashlane or 1Password is a very good investment because of the peace of mind that it maintains. It can help you create secure passwords and can help you remember and even ease the login process. So look into these solutions. There's even some free ones that are out there. And on that note, if you're wondering about the password manager that's built into browsers, I would avoid them because first of all, it's not generally password secured in and of itself. And if someone compromises your computer or your browser, they can get access to your passwords if you've got the option to enable multi-factor authentication anywhere, do it. If you set up an account and it wasn't available when you originally set it up, go back and check. 
And if MFA is not available, you might wanna consider looking somewhere else. So when you're setting up multi-factor authentication, which is kind of a second layer of defense, if a cyber criminal gets a hold of your username and password, an MFA solution can stop them in the tracks, provided you don't automatically respond to the prompt. I'll do another video just on MFA. But if you're gonna set it up, give preference to the applications themselves, like Microsoft Authenticator or the Google Authenticator. Use those instead of email or SMS, but at the end of the day, something is better than nothing. So if you've made it this far in the video, thank you very much for sticking it out. We're gonna talk about one of the most important topics and that's leveraging the power of people. Now, by the power of people, we often hear people say, oh, people are the weakest link or they just clink out stuff and people are just kind of the cause of all the problems. Well, I got news for you. Your people are probably your biggest assets, your organization, you just have to treat them right. You have to train them up, you have to keep training them, and you have to give them the tools and the talent in order to be able to execute and protect your enterprise. You have no idea the power of proper security awareness training. It is probably one of the best investments that you can make into your business. I know lots of people out there that are extremely good at this. If you want some personal recommendations, reach out to me, and I'm more than happy to give the names of at least a dozen people I know that are excellent at this sort of thing. Some of the topics that they're going to be able to teach your people, and this is stuff that you can take away and use at home and tell the rest of your family. For example, learning how to verify the source of an email. Is it a legitimate email or did it come from a sketchy source? Learn how to verify the URLs and the web links and that address. You know, learning how to do a little bit of research into figuring out whether or not it's a legitimate link. Instead of clicking on a link, go directly to the website of the business and verify the information. Pick up the phone and give somebody a call. These are all skills that people can easily learn and will pay off in dividends for your company. And it'll also help defend your family. One of the key takeaways here is be wary of what you share, particularly online. We all want to put lots of stuff up on social media and share how awesome our lives are. But we also have to consider who's the audience that's looking at it. Now, it might not necessarily be our friends directly, but it could also be friends of friends. Because when we pull something, we don't know necessarily where that's going to go. That could get copied, shared, liked. It could go in a million and one different places. So be very careful about what details you reveal online. It could add up to be a very serious targeted cyber attack. We've all heard of spring cleaning. When was the last time that you went online and did a bit of spring cleaning? Clean up some old posts from your social media. Maybe there's some accounts you don't use anymore. Consider shutting them down. The less that you leave online, the better. Just keep it to the exact amount of information that you need and absolutely nothing more. And even after you delete it, it does tend to stay on systems for quite some time because there's replicas and there's backups of it, but eventually it falls out of favor. It's no longer current information. And cyber criminals want current information. Okay, so if you forgive me for a second, I'm gonna have a little bit of a rant here. One of the most important things is executing regular phishing training and cyber attack simulations for your business. You can learn a lot of things about the way people react to these, and then you can adjust your training and your content accordingly. But it does get to a measure of frustration where some businesses simply use phishing training as a stick to beat people with. They love sending out the phishing emails probably far too often and seeing who clicks on it. And then if they don't name and shame them, they definitely pull them up and make them feel like crap for clicking on the link in the first place. This is not a way to enforce proper cyber hygiene with people. You just don't do that sort of thing. Whatever the results happen to be from these fixing exercises, you're the one that's supposed to learn from it because it's your people that you need to educate, train, and enable to avoid this sort of stuff in the, in the future. There was recently a news article about, well, let's just say as business individual, 
that believes that people should be fired if they repeatedly keep clicking on the messages. Look, if you read the story, you kind of get where he's coming from. So I'm not 100% against his methodology, but I am against his approach. I don't think that people should be fired for repeatedly doing the wrong things. I want to know, have they been told what are the right things to do? How, what kind of training have they received? What kind of information have they got after these tests were executed? What was the messaging? How was it handled? I get it that people can present a risk to your organization if they do the wrong things. I'm not saying there shouldn't be discipline. I'm just saying that you should be using this as a very valuable learning tool and not just using it as a stick to discipline people with. I think phishing activities and these other types of cyber attack simulations are incredibly valuable because they will expose the weaknesses and the shortcomings in your execution, particularly around incident response plans and crisis communications. You can learn so much from them. At the end of it, it's a tool to be used to protect your business and to protect your people. And if you're conveying the right message, they'll look after your organization for you. There's no need to constantly consider firing people if they keep clicking on phishing links. Then I ask, what exactly are you sending out? Are you sending out messages exactly as yourself, perhaps, deliberately trying to trick people? Cyber criminals will do this sort of thing with spear phishing attacks, but you have to address that the vast majority of things that are coming in are probably going to be general phishing attacks and people need to be able to be 90% certain that they're going to be able to find it, maybe even 95% certain. And here's the other thing that you should take away from it. If people have clicked on a suspicious link, you want them to feel safe enough to come forward and report it. People are human, they make mistakes. And the last thing you want to do is instill such a sense of fear in your employees that they are afraid to tell you that they accidentally clicked on something. Because the fastest way to solve something is to know about it as quickly as possible. All right, I'm done ranting on this one. Okay, folks, thanks for joining me for another video. This time we covered spear phishing. Just want you to know that it does tend to be a very specific type of attack. Yes, they're difficult to detect, but there are ways to do so. Uh, the main takeaway here is always verify everything. Don't hesitate to ask questions. You know, check with a trusted advisor, someone else in the company. Check with the company that supposedly sent this in the first place. You know, don't hesitate to pick up the phone and question everything. Because at the end of the day, you're really kind of looking out for yourself and for your employer. So guys, stay safe out there and we'll see you next time.